It's our high honor this morning to be here at the royal family of God and to partake of the elements. This being close to the 4th of July, we have our minds set on freedom. The Bible tells us God, our God, is the God of freedom. In John chapter 15, verse 13, says, Greater love has no man than that one lay down his life for his friend. On this occasion, we think about how so many have done just that in order to provide for our freedom. started many years ago, 1776. What it really changed, how things changed, was with a particular document, the founding document of our great nation, the Declaration of Independence. The freedom that we've received as a legacy from all those who gave their life is fragile and it requires maintenance. We have to be ever vigilant to maintain our liberty because we live in a fallen world And certainly there are those always who would take advantage of the power that they may have and to try to tyrannize the people. We appreciate what they have done, but the Lord Jesus Christ gave us a legacy of freedom that is not fragile, does not pass away, and we do not have to maintain it. I'm talking about the freedom from the penalty of sin. Of course, those who do not take their acceptance of the gospel, those people let sin run its course and the ultimate destination of those people who reject the gospel and don't take advantage of the freedom that Jesus Christ has left for us is the lake of fire. Jesus Christ didn't come to earth just to show us how to live. His mission was to get to the cross to pay the penalty on our behalf, which He did. Isn't it great that we don't have to fret, worry, or be afraid that judgment is going to fall on us and that the penalty of God's judgment, that being the lake of fire, will ever fall on us believers? Aren't you glad of that? We have freedom from the penalty of sin. We also have freedom from the power of sin. When Jesus Christ was on the cross, He also broke the back of our old sin nature. We still have an old sin nature and we still sin. We're not enslaved to it. We have the freedom to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to produce divine good. And... That is just another one of the great freedoms we have right now. There's going to be a time in the not-too-distant future where we will be free from the presence of sin. Of course, the only problem with that right now is you can't be on this planet and be free from the presence of sin. One day we're going to have a resurrection body. We're going to have a body that has no more 
sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering that's going to last forever. And when you look in the mirror, you don't have to go... You know what I mean? It won't grow old. Those are just a few of the freedoms that we have because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're also free from the fear of death. For us, death is just a relocation. We live, leave this planet that is racked with sin and pain and suffering. We go to a place that God has prepared for us. The Lord Jesus Christ has prepared a place for us. And that's all that death is. I think really if we're honest with each other, we might say that we could be somewhat concerned about death because none of us have experienced death and it's going to be completely different. But we're not afraid of it because we believe in the promises of God and we anticipate those promises coming true. We're free from trying to appease God for the sins that we commit. Aren't you glad of that freedom? All we have to do in order to be right with God as believers is to acknowledge our sins to God and He is. then we are forgiven from all unrighteousness, from our sins and all unrighteousness, simply because we acknowledge it. And that's because those sins have already been paid for on the cross. What a great freedom we have there. Of course, the consequences still might go on, but if they do, we can endure them because we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We're free from fear. I don't know what your main fear issue is, but it seems like all of us have some kind of issue where we are just frightened. If my daughter was growing up, she had a fear and... She still has it today. She's afraid of snakes. Big time. I mean, if you want to get on her bad side, buy a rubber snake and put it on her closet or something, and she might not talk to you again. I mean, I don't know what it is that you might be afraid of. But we don't have to be afraid of anything because of the great promises of God. We saw that in Joshua, Joshua chapter 1. God never leaves us and He never forsakes us and He will never let us down. We're free from having to compete for, for His attention. Aren't you glad of that? You have God's attention all the time. We don't have to compete with each other. At any time, you can talk to God and He's ready to listen. We're also free from the Mosaic Law. The more you know about the Mosaic Law, the more you would be glad that you're not under it. The Mosaic Law is not just the Ten Commandments. There are, what was it, somewhere around 600 laws that they had to be under that it wasn't just in the civil realm. It was in all realms they had to abide by the Mosaic Law. Especially you teenagers ought to be glad that we're not under the Mosaic Law because according to the Mosaic Law, if you strike your parents, you're executed. If you cursed your parents, you're executed. We had that in play today and carried it out. The population would drastically drop. 
but I don't speak to the teens in this church, hopefully. We're free from the bondage of legalism. Our contact with God is grace. So we don't have to abide by a certain set of mores and laws and rules. Indeed, we still are to be moral. But we live by a higher code, a spiritual code. And we don't have to have someone following us around with a clipboard making sure that we don't do any work on the Sabbath, which is not today, by the way. It's on Saturday. And they, the Jews had that, of course. We're also free from condemnation. Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, accepted the gospel, then you are in Christ. You are in Him, and He is in you. And then we're free from worrying about losing our salvation. I think that might be one of the most important ones, don't you? Aren't you glad you don't have to go through life worrying if you are good enough, if you've done enough good works, or maybe you've slipped up and you've committed a sin and maybe that was going to slip through the cracks and you're going to be held accountable for that? There are many more things that we can thank the Lord Jesus Christ for because of the freedoms that He provides us. You are here because you had the freedom of choice. You had the freedom to come or not come. And that's because God gave you that as well. We have the freedom to assemble here and worship as our conscience dictates according to the Word of God. All these are freedoms. In order to provide for those freedoms, Jesus Christ had to be qualified to be our substitute. And that meant... He had to be absolutely sinless. Even if he had an old sin nature, if he acquired it from his father like all the rest of us have, he would be disqualified. He had to be a perfect sacrifice. That's why he had to be born of a virgin. He was qualified in every way. And then that ties in to our elements that we will partake of today. That's the unleavened bread. The unleavenedness speaks of sinlessness, which Christ was. And the cup speaks of His work on the cross. He was our substitute. And it wasn't just the physical torture that He underwent, which was, well, if you saw the passion of the Christ, it kind of gave you an idea. But there were many that were crucified. In 70 A.D., when the legions of Rome sieged Jerusalem, they were sacrificing on the cross hundreds of thousands of people. In fact, they ran out of wood. They were cutting down trees. They were doing everything. There were so many crucified. But the difference between that sacrifice and Christ's sacrifice was that they were unable to pay for the penalty of sin, which is spiritual death, separation from God. Jesus Christ did that. And God the Father, showing His great love and justice, poured out in full measure on Jesus Christ your sins and my sins. And He couldn't in any way lessen the pain. The only thing He did was darken the earth to where people couldn't see the agony, but they could hear His cry. 
You don't have to be a member of Country Bible Church in order to partake of the elements. You do, however, have to be in fellowship. We mean by that that you have to make sure that the decks are cleared of any unconfessed sins. That way you're going to be able to concentrate and it's going to be meaningful to you. For it's a high honor to be able to publicly partake of the cup and of the bread in such a way we are showing in a public fashion our faith alone in Christ alone. He is our Savior. He is our King. He is our God. He is our Deliverer. He is our all in all. And when you partake of these elements, you are showing that. In a way, it's a test because if you let your mind wander during the time that we partake of these elements, then it will mean nothing to you. But it's a special time because here we are, the royal family of God, collectively gathered together in obedience to God's Word, but we also are individual believers who have our own specific thoughts, our own specific wants and desires, our own particular sense of appreciation, and we do it collectively. So we do it in a reverent manner. So we'll have a few moments of silent prayer to prepare ourselves. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are indeed thankful the Lord Jesus Christ remained perfect, sinless His entire lifetime. And as we partake of this unleavened bread, we pray that the doctrines of Christology and soteriology will flood our soul and will have great appreciation as we partake of it. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Is our custom to retain the bread until all have been served.
He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and by His stripe we are healed. Our Lord took the bread. He broke it. He blessed it. And said, this is my body that is given for you. Take and eat thereof. Again, Heavenly Father, we thank You for the opportunity to demonstrate our faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by partaking of the cup. We pray that You will help us to have that proper appreciation for our so great salvation and all the doctrines that we have been blessed by so greatly by our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray it in His name. Amen. We are accustomed to retain the cup until all have been served.
All we like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. God the Father laid upon Him, God the Son, the iniquity of us all. God demonstrated His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died as a sacrifice, a substitute for us. On that same occasion, our Lord took the cup and said, This is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in My name. We will stand and sing hymn number 258. We'll sing it softly on the third verse and crescendo on the last verse. Let us stand as we sing. You may have noticed on the front of our bulletin we have a new memory verse for July. I know it says May. <laughs> Going to get that corrected next month. <laughs> we just leave the, Christ the Christmas tree lights out. Uh, we'll try to get that right next Sunday. Here it is, Isaiah 26.3. Let's... If you know it, say it. If you don't, let's read it together. 
You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Isn't that great? You want perfect peace? You have to trust God for it. Okay, uh, what I plan to do in the time that we have left is say a few words about freedom and July the 4th. If we have uh, some time left, then we'll go to our Joshua review and we'll start chapter 7 of Joshua and continue our review. Uh, maybe we'll have time for that and maybe not. We'll just, we'll just see. Um, on the 4th of July, we're celebrating the Declaration of Independence, uh, that so great document. The people that the men that signed that, put their signatures to that, were not a bunch of uh, rebels. They were not doing anything impulsively. They were learned men. They were men of great honor and great wealth, most of them. And they put everything on the line in order to sign that document. And it changed everything. And they paid a great, a great price for it. Uh, King George was especially hunting those down who signed that document. We need to realize that freedom is not freedom from authority. It's not independence from authority. In fact, I think I have a PowerPoint from this. I want to get this on the board so that you can see it. And, uh, well, we're going to start with a definition. Definition of freedom. Now, the first sentence comes from the American Dictionary of the English Language, 1828, and it was by Noah Webster. And this is what he said. Definition of freedom. A state of exemption from the power or control of another. And then the next sentence comes from the Webster Seventh New Collegiate Dictionary. The absence of necessity, coercion, or constraint in choice or action. Kind of puts a, a wider scope of what freedom really is. It's freedom from coercion, constraint, in choice or action. So freedom is not absence of authority. It's not independent of authority. I know when I was a teenager, I wanted to be free. I really wanted to be free. And I thought freedom meant freedom from authority. I don't have to worry about what my parents said anymore. I could just do anything I wanted to do. I thought that's what freedom was really all about. But what I, what I didn't realize is that one thing that comes with freedom is something that I didn't care for all that much, and that was responsibility. So you can't be free and be without responsibility. You're re responsible for yourself. Freedom is always connected to authority. In fact, a very learned man taught me this. Freedom without authority is anarchy. You just can't be free and not have authority. 
authority without freedom is tyranny. So, freedom is never disassociated from authority. And authority can never be disassociated with freedom. Authority and freedom coexist together. When the government submits to God and people submit to the government, all is well. well just, just look at what is on that board for a moment. We just don't want to just rush off from this because these are some profound principles regarding freedom. There are those who want no government, but that's not really freedom because those who have tried that always wind up in anarchy. But then on the other side of the coin, authority without freedom is tyranny. So, there has to be a balance. When the government submits to God and the people submit to government, all is well. But if the government is not submitting to God, then you have tyranny. And if the people aren't submitting to the government, to a government that is submitting to God, then you have anarchy. I just thought I'd put that on the board because those, I might just, I see some of you taking some notes there. You don't have to put those two middle in red, it's okay. You know, before the Declaration of Independence came along, people suffered under what is known as the divine right of kings. The, that means that the king had a divine right. It came to God, and everyone was answerable to the king. And he could come up with whatever he wanted to, whether people liked it or not, because he had the divine right to impose his will upon the people. And that's what they were suffering under for a long time. For instance, King Henry VIII wanted to get a divorce. And at that time, this was right around the time of the Reformation, uh, the Catholic Church still was uh, not only the player in religion, it was also a player in the state. And the kings had to submit to the power of the Pope. Well, in this case, uh, King Henry didn't want to submit to the dictates of the Pope because uh, he wanted to get a divorce and the Pope wouldn't allow it. So, since he had the divine right of kings, what he did was he just became the vicar or the head of the church in England because he had the divine right to do so. And other things that he would say or do, and kings of that time, that's what they would do, they had to submit to it because after all it was the divine right. But when in 1776, with the Declaration of Independence, there was a, a novel, new, completely out-of-this-world suggestion that our rights come from God and not by man. And the patriots of our 
nation, when this country was founded, were willing to risk everything in order to have that freedom. That we are responsible for God. We have the, the constant. I mean, the Declaration says uh, these are inalienable rights. That means that you can't lose them. You can't give them to someone else. They can't be taken away. These rights are yours because they come directly from God. And then there was a, a long, bloody war that ensued. And no one thought that the colonists had even a prayer to be victorious. But indeed they were because God was on their side. And then what followed that was a constitution. And the constitution, uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but they, they finished the con drafting the constitution, they put it out to the states, and the state threw it right back in their face and said, no way. Well, why? Well, they said, we want a bill of rights. We want to have a bill that recognizes our God-given rights, and it is specified in there. And this is only a limited list. There are more rights than what is listed in the Bill of Rights. By the way, as, as it turned out, they came into the Constitution as the first ten amendments. It's unfortunate. It should have been a separate document just like the Declaration of Independence because when you have these amendments, they can be changed. But the Bill of Rights, those are inalienable rights. The Bill of Rights are the rights that were spoken of in the Declaration of Independence. So they did come up with a Bill of Rights. They submitted it back to the people for ratification, and it, and it, and it passed. And those rights are really the meat of it. And what does that mean for us today? What it means is that we are not ruled by a president we're not ruled by a king or from a prime minister or from a czar. We're not ruled by any organization. The highest law in the land is the Constitution. Now, when we say the Constitution in this sense, we are including the Bill of Rights. Actually, the Bill of Rights is, is superior to the uh, written part of the Constitution because what's the First Amendment say? Congress shall make no law. It starts out stipulating what Congress cannot do. However, we just talk about the Constitution being the highest law in the land. So we, don't, we, do, we do not have as the highest recourse, the highest authority in the land, in this land, is not the President, it's not the Congress, it's not the Supreme Court, it is the constitution of this country. That is the highest law in the land. And even to add to that is every person in government must take an oath to uphold and defend the constitution of the United States. Now, you know that. I mean, anyone, even, even clerks, people in the military, uh, all congressmen, I was going to say congressmen. Well, I am going to say congressmen. All congressmen and women that are in the Congress, everyone has to have an oath, give that oath to uphold and defend 
the Constitution. Now, the reason that we are in such dire straits today, at least one of the reasons, one of the main reasons, is because our Constitution has been ignored for a long time. It is essentially considered a relic, and we have the great majority of the people who are in office that made an oath, raised their hand, and many of them put their hand on the Bible, and promised to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States, and then they turn right around and ignore it and do so many things that are unconstitutional. And over a period of time, incrementally, what has happened to freedom? Our freedoms are being frittered away. There's an old maxim that I think is true. It says, people get the government they deserve. And that's true. And God allows it. Because for decades and decades, for a long time, we the people have not held our office holders accountable to their oath to uphold the Constitution. And so now we live in a society that, well, if the Founding Fathers saw what we live under today, they would be horrified. It would, they would be aghast to think of the great sacrifice that they paid in order to give us freedom. And then we came out with a bill of rights. This, this was unheard of. No other nation had that. And to my knowledge, no other nation still does. You see, man is fallen. He has a sin nature. And it is the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, that puts chains on that old sin nature so that people in office will not try to gain power and use it at the expense of the people. Now, this is, I, don't, I hope you don't think I'm running for office. This is not a political speech. These are fundamental principles that you don't hear anymore in this country. When was the last time that you heard some news pundit ask someone in office, uh, can you tell me the constitutional authority behind that? When was the last time you heard that? That should be the first question. And yet it's not even, it's not even made anymore. It's not even, not even questioned anymore. Underlying all this, of course, is the spiritual factor. And it is the spiritual factor that is the main factor. Because when people get spiritually sloppy, when people get spiritually lazy, and they're not vigilant in their spiritual life, it only trickles down to their public life. And they're not vigilant there either. Since we live in a fallen world, we have to be ever vigilant, not only in a public way, in a civil way, we just as much true in the spiritual realm. And so, those who have not continued to recognize that God is, the God is the author of freedom. It was for freedom that Christ made you free. I'm not sure, but I think that's Galatians 5.1. Now, the first thing that we need to do to get our house in order 
is to look to ourselves. And I'm not talking about look to ourselves in order for deliverance. I'm talking about look to ourselves to straighten ourselves first. And the first priority in straightening ourselves out is in the spiritual realm. Did you ever notice? It's been on there a long time on our bulletin. Your attitude towards the Bible is your attitude towards God. I've been imploring you to read your Bibles every day. Jim Myers was here, what was it, two Sundays ago? He did the same thing. A lot of you like to be spoon-fed. You think, well, I can't get anything out of the Bible unless the pastor is teaching it because he teaches from the original languages. Apart from that, well, I, I, it's just no use. Balderdash! Not true. The Word of God is alive and powerful. Even when you're reading it, oh, there's going to be some things you come across and you won't understand, but there's going to be things that's going to lift your spirit. It goes deep into your soul just from reading it. I don't care where you start. It doesn't matter where. Read your Bibles and you will be edified. You'll have a spiritual shot in the arm. You will start seeing yourself as you really are and seeing others as they really are and recognize that the Lord Jesus Christ is our only hope. And His Word circulating in our streams of consciousness. We need to think about that. Where's Andrea? Andrea, you and your group can leave now if you'd like to prepare. Now, right now many of you, if not all of you, are going through a test. You know what it means when the ladies get up and go into the other room. You know it's getting close. And when they take the lids off the food, it gets harder. But we're not done yet. We still have to concentrate on what is most important. Freedom is so precious. And we need to use our freedom wisely. I said earlier, you have the freedom to either stay at home or come to church. And it's God that gave you that freedom. And now, it's your freedom while you're here to either concentrate or make a mental list of your menu when you go in to eat. Now that I said it, that's what everybody's probably doing. <laughs> Same on me. There are so many people out there that really don't know true freedom. They don't know what it's like to start a day knowing that our great God will never leave us and He will never forsake us. He will never let us down. That we are His children. He has gone to prepare a place for us that we will surely be someday. And it doesn't depend on us. It depends upon Him and His integrity, not our integrity. A word that's not used too much these days. And as the society continues to degenerate, as we continue to, learn, to, to notice more and more freedoms gone, it's time for us to crank up our spiritual intake of God's Word. You can't do it just coming on Sunday. You can't do it coming just on Sunday and Tuesday. You can't do it coming just on Sunday and Tuesday and Wednesday. You can't do it coming Sunday 
Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Because on those days that you're not here, well, the young people are here on Wednesday, but anyhow, when you're, the days you're not getting doctrine, does the angelic conflict and say, does the devil say, okay, let's all shut down. This is not their day to get doctrine. So we'll just put everything on hold until the next day or the next week or the next month. Whenever they get doctrine, we'll, we'll kick back into gear. Does that how it happens? And you will be chewed up and spit out by the world, the flesh, and the devil if you have that attitude. It's a sloppy attitude. I'll tell you what we're going to do. Turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. We're only going to have time for maybe just one word. One word. But it fits, especially with what I've just said. Turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. This is continuing our review in Joshua. Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. Word 1. But. Circle it. But. This is the first chapter that started out with this word, but. Oh, that's an important word. It's a contrastive conjunction. But what it means is something changed. You remember they were over on the east side of the Jordan and we went through the chapter where they crossed the Jordan. They got on the other side of the Jordan and they obeyed God. They did the things they were supposed to do. And the next thing that, they, that you know, they were circling around Jericho bearing, uh, blowing horns. They did everything seven times. Now what was all that about? Well, you ought to know because we went over the number seven. The great victory there. Everything was victory. God was doing miracles. They walked across dry ground on the, when they crossed the Jordan. And you know what happened? They got arrogant and they got sloppy. Therefore, you have the word but. But. You know, some of you, things might be going well right now. I don't know, right now it looks like none of you have it going well. I, maybe that's concentration. Okay. Anyhow, um, but some people cannot even appreciate and enjoy the good times when you don't have the people, bill collectors snapping at your tail or you don't have uh, your health is, is good. and you, Everything seems to be going good. Some people cannot enjoy it. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because of that word, but. Because they know it's not going to stay. They know it's not going to continue. There's always a but. And so here, let's, let's read, at least read the verse. Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. But the, sin, but the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully. Underline that. Up until this time, they were faithful. Joshua was faithful. The people were faithful. They were being obedient. God was coming through and blessing them and doing great things. But they got sloppy. They were no longer faithful. 
in regard to the things under the ban for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zebdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Now, I only have time to point out two very quick things here. First of all, you'll notice that Achan is named. You see, Jericho was the first city that they conquered. And the first fruits go to the Lord. And so in Jericho, everything that breathed was to be killed. Everything was going to be burned as a sacrifice to the Lord. They were not to take anything. And yet Achan just couldn't resist. And he took some gold and he took some clothes. He took a few things and he hid it. It even mentions Achan here and his genealogy. But I'm, this is what I want you to notice, and I want you to underline these two things again. The first one you already did, but the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully. Why is it saying the sons of Israel when it was Achan that took the booty and hid it for himself and disobeyed God? Why does it say that it was the sons of Israel? And then look at the end of the verse. The end of the verse says, Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Why is this verse saying, this verse saying that the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel? It was Achan the one that took the, the things that he wasn't supposed to take. What's, what's with that? Was, did God wake up on the wrong side of the bed? He's just angry at Israel that morning? What was it? Well, I wish I had time to tell you. As we go through this chapter, we're going to see that one reason Achan acted on his lust, his greed was because the whole nation, including its leader, even Joshua, who had been so on track all this time, Joshua let down his guard and he got sloppy. None of us can afford to do that. And when he let down his guard, they were going to go to Ai. See, it just talks about this to mention that in verse 1, it talks about Achan breaking the band. It's going to talk about that further later on. But when you get to verse 2, it talks about Ai. Ai was about eight or ten miles from uh, Jericho, and that was going to be the next city of attack. And so that was what they were going to do, is go to Ai and take that. And you know what they did? Because they had such an easy time with Jericho, I mean, all they had to do was just walk around the city. One time, seven days, and the seven, seventh day, remember there was, they were walking around it seven times and blow seven trumpets and all these seven things. And they think, boy, we're really something. You know, we were all worried about these Canaanites. We were outnumbered, and they're horrible people. They skin you alive. And we were worried about that. Well, we got this wired. We got this covered. It's no big deal. How do we know that? Because in verse 2, instead of sending a huge force to overwhelm Ai, which is how they did uh, Jericho, they were only going to send a token force. Why? Because they came, well, we've got this. And what happened? They got their butt kicked, didn't they? They sent, what was it, 3,000? Let's see. I've got to stop teaching. I just love doing this. Now, look at verse 2. Now, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near uh, Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land so that 
so the men went up and spied out the land. Look at verse 3. They returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up. That means all the army. Only about two or 3,000 men need to go up to Ai. Do not make the people, the whole army, toil up there, for they are few. You see, it's not that big a deal. We'll just send some of the army. Look at our past. They got sloppy and they got arrogant. Look at verse 4. So about 3,000 from the people went up there and they fled from the men of Ai. They retreated. What a disgrace. You see, the Lord doesn't put up with nonsense is what it amounts to. He doesn't put up with arrogance and He doesn't put up with the sloppy spiritual attitude which is what they had. And it says in verse 5, And the men of Ai struck down about 36 of the men and pursued them from the gate as far as uh, Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Now what's the deal here? 36 men out of 3,000? That's not many folks. That's less than two per thousand. Or wait. Uh... What, 3,000, 10, 10, about 12? That's less than 12 per, per thousand. I mean, that's not many. A lot of people would say, hey, this is a great victory. But what the main thing is is that they had to retreat. And because they, they lost 36 men out of 3,000 and they do a meltdown, and you know who joined them? You know who the ringleader was? Joshua. Oh, man, that breaks my heart. Joshua's my hero. I mean, he was, he was right on. But that goes to show that anybody can get sloppy. It just, it just, you just don't get sloppy overnight. You don't wake up one morning, you go to bed, I'm strong, I'm, I'm, I'm spiritually strong, I'm motivated, I've got my spiritual momentum going. You don't go to bed like that and wake up the next morning and say, uh-oh, now I'm sloppy. Uh-oh, not interested anymore. Don't care about the Bible, don't care about this not happening. It comes on, it creeps up on you. And before you know it, you turn around and your spiritual momentum is gone. And you start living, you start falling in your old wheel ruts, you get in your old bad habits, and you just squeeze God right out of the picture. It happens incrementally, and that's what happened to them. Now, we're completely out of time. I'm past time, in fact. Uh, at this point, please, everyone, uh, bow your heads. This is the last portion, very important. Usually on Communion Sundays we have several visitors here, and I don't know if everyone here is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but I have the best news that you will ever hear in your entire life, and that is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He went to the cross to pay for your sins. He died and was buried, and He rose from the grave, and now He offers eternal life to you. And anyone else who believes in Him and Him alone, that trusts Him for their eternal salvation, for the payment of their sins. And you can make that decision right now. In a moment of time, you can say, this is the moment that I'm going to believe in Jesus Christ. I'm no longer going to trust upon my own works. I'm trusting on His perfect work. He was the only one qualified to pay the price. He paid it, and I'm trusting in that. In that moment, you're born again. Your ticket to heaven is guaranteed. Now it's time to get cracking grow up spiritually, and glorify God.
Now, Father, we're so thankful for this time You've given us to partake of the elements and to remember our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in such a special way. We pray that You will help us to be very alert and vigilant in all things, starting with our spiritual life. And to You goes all the glory and praise. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.